Jonathan Hardesty. Is this real life? Chewy's chewing, so she can't Hi. say anything. And Emily Blake. It is real life. <laughs> I like that you powered through and you still got a high in there. <laughs> I'm really sad I ate my Danish too fast. I could enjoy There's it. donuts right behind you. Yeah, there are donuts it's right behind you. It's not cheese Danish. That is true. Donuts are not cheese Danish. You've already learned something, and we just started. Yeah, this is going to be a, a learning podcast this week. <laughs> Learn what the people who made Bohemian Rhapsody didn't know about Freddie Mercury. Ooh, good time. Special guest this week, we have Elliot Campos. Hey, hey, hey. thanks for having me. Feeling good, even though I'm under pressure. Elliot's coming out of the gate hot. I knew he was the right person to ask to be on this episode. <laughs> Talk about something that wasn't in this movie. I'm not Ooh. sure if you would take offense to this. When I thought about doing this movie, you were the first person I thought of to have on for it. Well, I did post a picture of myself on Instagram with a mustache. <laughs> so <laughs> I think a lot of people thought of me first. <laughs> yep. We're also going to have yep. you on for the Geraldo biopic movie. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Oh, man. My, my lip hairs are quivering. <laughs> well, the thing I didn't expect to hear today. <laughs> I had no idea what to expect with this one. I just expected a lot of sadness. Um, I tried to be objective. I was like, oh, I'm not going to make a decision in five minutes. And I was like, oh, I made a decision. See, I was, the, I was the exact opposite. I'm like, you know what? I'm just not expecting to like this movie. And then the first third, I'm like, you know what? I think I could actually defend this. Like, it's just kind of a standard, boring biopic. But I'm kind of into that. And then, whoa. Um, so before we get too deep into anything or even into our where have you been doing, I do want to throw out one little uh, thing out there. I know my aunt listens to this show quite often. So Doreen, if you're listening, I'm sorry we're going to be so mean to a movie that you loved so much. Sorry, Doreen. Um, sorry. I, I will do my best to be nice to it when I can, but there's not a lot to be nice to in this movie, in my opinion. But that's for later. For now, we have to do a where have you been doing. And I guess I can go first. I didn't really have a lot that wasn't Red Dead Redemption 2, which I talked about last week because I was so determined to finish that game. Um, so I'll talk about uh, Doomsday Clock, which uh, I might have edited out of the last episode. I might not have. Uh, Doomsday Clock is an issue 9 out of 12, so it's coming coming close to the end. And it paced itself very much like Watchmen, which is both wonderful and frustrating. Because if you've ever read Watchmen, the first half is as slow as molasses and not a lot happens it's just moving chess pieces setting things up for a huge finale and that's what's happening at doomsday clock and issue nine was everything i've wanted out of doomsday clock so far and it was amazing and the the slow burn to get to there i think was absolutely the right call and it was beautifully drawn well written and just awesome and it was essentially without ruining too much Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen versus the Justice League minus Batman. Because Batman wasn't on... uh, He was still on Earth while they were out on Mars trying to get Dr. Manhattan. And it is exactly what you want to see from that fight. And it was just... I I can't speak enough about it. It is so, so good. If you've not been reading Doomsday Clock, uh, don't. (laughs) Uh, Wait for the trade because you're too far behind at this point. But if you have been, enjoy the ride. That's it for me. Cool. Yep. Uh, So I saw a horror film that happens to uh, star one of the actresses in this movie uh, that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, It's called Don't Knock Twice. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's uh, about a strange mother and daughter who get uh, chased by the Baba Yaga, sort of. Hmm. And it completely fumbles all its themes that it wants to go for, for all the horror cliches. Was Lucy Boynton in that? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Katie Sackhoff was the the mother. Okay. Yeah, so Katie Sackhoff was the mother and Lucy Boynton was the daughter and they 
it's a very weird movie that decides that it's scares or it's jump scares and moments are more important than any possible theme that could make the characters uh, likable. Well, that's a that's a negative review right there. But Katie Sackhoff does a really good job, which is weird. <laughs> she like, does. yeah, yeah. So like, she gives it her all, and the filmmakers didn't seem to do that either. So that's unfortunate. Yeah, Joey, what about you? Um, I have a disappointment to discuss briefly. Whereas we watched Suspiria for the first time, you and I had never seen it. That's the true. Seventies version, not the new one. Um, and we watched it on a DVD from Netflix. And it was a terrible version of the film. Yeah. We couldn't hear very well what was happening, and the visuals were all muddy and whatever. It, it didn't have subtitles, so we it couldn't turn those subtitles on. It didn't have subtitles, so that we couldn't help ourselves. Um, and I wanted to love this movie, because I've always heard so many things about how wonderful it is for horror, for, like, depictions of women in horror. and for body horror in general. Body horror and all this stuff. And honestly... And I was told it was really gory, and I guess I maybe have just been really desensitized because there's really very minimal gore in it. Yeah. And at the ending, I was just like, wait, that's it? That's a climax? It's done already? Like, that was barely a fight. Yeah, we both kind of went, oh, that's, we were... that's too easy. There's still another 15 minutes in this movie. And then the credits start rolling. It's like, oh, I guess it's just that easy. Yeah, so I, th- I think it's an example of a film that you really needed to actually see on film in a theater so that you could only pay attention to it because maybe I would have been more engrossed in it than being frustrated with the terrible DVD in our living room. Yeah. But so it was, it was very sad. I, I, I liken it to kind of like the original Halloween where if you've not seen it yet and you finally sit down to watch it, you're going to go, I mean, it, it's I get it. I get why people love it, but it's not scary. Well, it was at the time. Now you've yeah. just seen everybody who's ripped it off and this is where we are, but this is what we got there. And so it's like, yeah. yeah. I didn't love it. I don't think I'm ever going back to it, but. I think you I liked would, it more I than think I, I would totally see it again in a theater on uh, 35. Sure, yeah. Because I would really, because the, yeah, the production design and the, just the design in general is still gorgeous. I just would like to see it look gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Emily, what about you? Um, for, for some reason, I decided to watch Transformers the last night. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I made that same mistake. It's what, not a, no, it was, it was great because I have never watched all of a Transformers movie before. I've seen like maybe half the first one and I've seen about five minutes of one with Josh Duhamel in Josh Duhamel in the desert. I don't know which one that was. Um, That's two. two. Okay. So, but I only saw like five minutes of it. So I had no idea what the fuck was happening in this movie. Um, And uh, although I've been told that even if you did see all the movies, you still probably very confused. Um, it opens with uh, King Arthur and Merlin with yeah. a, a transforming dragon, I guess. And I was already on board for that. <laughs> and then um, and then we cut to a post-apocalyptic world where everyone's got a sense of humor about the end of the world. Uh, and Mark Wahlberg lives in a junkyard with a random assortment of fucking Transformers. And then some other things happen. And then other things happen over here that don't seem related, but they happen really fast. Um, I never understood what was happening at all in the entire movie. I was confused the entire time. Couldn't stop watching it. Loved every minute of it. No idea what was going on. Um, just there was a robot with a French accent. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what was happening. Anthony Hopkins was in it for some reason. Um, and then there was a lady robot. It was just, uh, I don't know. I, I really honestly loved it. I loved it completely because I was so confused, but I couldn't stop watching it. So I highly recommend it if you're really down with watching something that you've no idea what's going on. 
Counterpoint, but, don't watch it. It's horrible. <laughs> it was just, no, it was great because it was just, why are they going over here and then they're going over there and then they're going over there and then they're going over there. And I don't know why. Why are we doing anything? I mean, at least this one didn't waste five minutes explaining why it's okay to have sex with underage girls. It like didn't explain. Did. It didn't. Oh, but it <laughs> didn't explain anything. Nothing did it, got explained. Even did when it have they explained the racism from the other films. No, not. I as mean, much. it did have a samurai transformer. Yeah. yeah, well, we're talking about they had robots with grills on their fake oh. teeth, and then one of them—that was two. Yeah, one yeah. of them didn't you, know how to read. Yeah, right? joke oh. About it. yeah. oh, yeah. It's a, it's no, a, it did not what? do that. Yeah. yeah, that's one reason I don't like the Transformer films. There's a lot of terrible. Ellie, what about you? Yeah, I finally started watching the Fargo TV show. And oh, nice. I just finished the second season. That's good, but I loved the first season. Like, just with the actors and the plot twist and the suspense of it. Um, the, the first season of Fargo is one of the best seasons of TV I've seen in years. Season two is good. I'm only a few episodes into three, and that seems fine. But it's like season one. Like, that's where I'm putting my chips on... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> season two kind of felt like, with the way it ended, kind of felt almost like um, No Country sometimes. Like, with the way that, yeah. that kind of left you, like, going, oh, okay, I have to think about this for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was it was good. It definitely had some really great moments to it. But just season one hooked me the most, where I was, like, when I would come home from work, I would jump to the TV to watch it. And uh, that kind of compulsive viewing doesn't happen for me that often. Yeah. Normally, it's just like, oh, this is my routine. This is what I'm watching today. So when I have that kind of electricity with the show, I'm always hugely appreciative. And I think Fargo, season one, knocked it's, it out of the park. It's got Billy Bob Thornton in it. He is so good. It's and... his best since Sling Blade, right? Yeah. I'll have to watch it at some point. Yeah. He and Peel are in there? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure if I will, because I keep saying that I will, and then I still haven't done <laughs> yeah. it. And it's well, I mean, there's too you, much good TV to watch. Yeah, that's why I'm just getting... Especially I think when it, I waste so much time watching bad TV. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, this season, season one was from like six years ago, and I'm finally watching it, so <laughs> I'm like way behind on the clock. But you know, yeah. like you've always been talking about fathering a child, yeah. and you eventually <laughs> did that. My I eventually did it, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's... Just add it to the list of a thousand things that you need to do before you die. And, sure, yeah. You know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the thousand list, the thousand things I need to, you know, maybe do before I die. Yep. It's Perfect. not a bucket list. It's yeah. like a like a tray list. It's more like a Ralph shopping bag list. <laughs> there like, you go. When we're on our deathbed, we're going to be like Oscar Schindler. Like, there's so many things I still wanted to watch. <laughs> it's going to be like, oh, I didn't watch Fargo. Ah, you gotta so become a ghost and then just like sit behind some schlub who never leaves the couch, and yeah, that's there you go. That's how you. That's who you haunt. Yeah, Pardon. like the ghost in Conjuring too, except you'll not torture the little girl. Yeah, I just want to watch a TV show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, all, uh, that's all I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> but then you get to this heaven, and there's chair. all these different streaming platforms that you have to subscribe to. Uh, and just, you come home. Kind of like hell. Like, how many souls is Disney Plus? This is ridiculous. You just come home, and there's just like the, and you're like, I'm being haunted by a ghost. What do they do? I don't. I just keep coming home, and the TV's on. He just won't stop watching fucking Arrowverse. <laughs> <laughs> no, season five is awful. Why'd you watch that season twice in a row? <laughs> Like, he just keeps switching between Arrow and Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. Like, it can't even follow a linear story. Yeah, that's me as a ghost, for sure. Uh, I think we should start talking about the movie that Do we're all we here to talk to? about. I know it would be more fun to avoid it, but, you know. 
to talk about the elephant in the room is the movie that we're here to talk about, which is Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, this movie came out last year. It got, I believe, a 46 on Metacritic, which is one of the lowest reviewed movies to ever be nominated for <laughs> Best Picture. And yet it won Academy Awards. It won four Academy Awards, um, which is insane. Uh, the yes. ones that it won, I, I, I will firmly stand by. Rami Malek deserved it. Uh, I think he was great. Uh, I know a lot of people disagreed with us. I know uh, famously Craig over at the front row thinks that he did not deserve it because he didn't sing the songs. That's something we'll get into. Mm. Um, but there, there's a lot of reasons why people didn't like a lot of things in this movie. There's a lot of reasons people like things in this movie. It made a shitload of money. The reviews were okay and it walked away with a shitload of statues. So I think this will be a good one for there's a lot of good and a lot of bad. I think there's more bad than good, but whatever, we'll get into that. Before we do, though, we have to do a 30-second breakdown, breakdown, break. You have to sing it. Down. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, I'm not and prepared for if that. If you don't sound exactly like Freddie Mercury, you're in trouble. Uh-oh. I'll yeah. do nothing, but just let you know that you're in trouble. <laughs> uh, okay, so let me get your timer out here. And you ready? Mm-hmm. So here we go. Bohemian Rhapsody in 30 seconds. Here we go, 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 go. I see a little silhouette of a man. Rami Malek is Freddie Mercury in an award-winning movie. Rami Malek won Best Actor. Rami is the champion of the Oscars. Ayo, ayo, daylight come and I want go home. That was horrible. <laughs> I mean, but but so good. Amazing. I don't think anyone has a clue what happened in the movie. Oh, no, but. I, know. <laughs> I mean, did anything happen in the movie? I don't know. So I think it gotta work still. That was perfectly on brand for Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and easily far and away your best oh, breakdown today. Oh my god. Thank you. I'm gonna uh, die now. <laughs> Wait, did I hear Encore? No. No. It's okay. right. <laughs> you came up for your encore to an empty auditorium. <laughs> um, so I just kind of want to start with, I think we're kind of going to be all roughly on the same page on this thing, but just kind of a quick around the table. What What is our, our general opinion of the movie? Um, I can go first. I, I think, uh, and I'll break it down into thirds. I think it starts, first third is good. Second third is bad. Third thir- third is just unwatchable garbage. And I'd rather just turn on Live Aid, uh, like a good YouTube rip of it, because that'd be more entertaining. Um, I think the movie just goes downhill real fast, but that's me. John, what do you think? Yeah, I would say similar to yours, but like downscale one. So I thought the the first third was fine, and then successively like exponentially worse each section. Yeah. Um, and at the end of it, uh, I thought I wish I had just watched concert footage, all, like I spent just time finding all the concert footage I possibly couldn't watch that instead. And I feel like I would have gotten yeah. the same. Well, I would have gotten more out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chewie, what about you? I was very excited for this movie because I am a decent, I guess not huge because I haven't like memorized all their albums, but I love Queen. So do I. And one of the reasons we ended up not seeing it was because the reviews were kind of lukewarm when it first came out. And I was like, why would you make something just okay about Freddie Mercury? Because there was nothing just okay about Freddie Mercury. No. Uh, and so then when you did see this movie... For the majority of it, I was like, yeah, it's, it's just okay. And then it became homophobic and just sad. And I was yeah. like, oh, what? What did you do? Why? Why did you do this? Yeah. Uh, uh, Emily? Ah, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, you saw some theaters, right? Uh, no, actually, oh, I, I never did. did. I meant to, and then I heard the bad reviews, and I decided to wait. 
Um, I did work on a promo for it, though. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so I've seen them. It, I've seen the stars in the movie, like, from a distance. They never actually spoke to any of the crew. Um, but uh, we made I made eye contact with Ronnie Malik for, like, five seconds. So well, there you go. Pretty exciting. Was he wearing his teeth? Uh, he was not. Ah. Um, he was very nice and very quiet. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, I found it very... I, one of my big pet peeves is biopics about fabulous people that don't live up to those people. Um, mm-hmm. I have issues with Man on the Moon in that regard. Um, and I feel like this movie just squandered its source material. They had someone who who they could have done so many creative things with this movie. And they just made this semi-linear, just really dull movie that mm-hmm. just kind of goes from plot point to plot point without really any character arc. It just sucked. Yeah. And linear is a, a loose term because yeah. they play fast and loose with time in this. Yeah, and if you're going to do that, <laughs> yeah. then do it. <laughs> when, yeah. when was We Were Rocky his, written? Like, and then the character uh, arc he has is him realizing his gay ruins his life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But we have one more person. Elliot, what do you think? Yeah, great music, good performance, wrote story. Okay, yeah. Um, and that, that's kind of like, uh, I'll start here. What, what I was saying... Um, so I mentioned to John and to Chewie and a few other people. Uh, I think if you want to watch this movie as just a celebration of Queen's music, you're you're fine. Like you will enjoy it. That's exactly what it kind of is. If you're trying to get any of the story of the band Queen, especially Freddie Mercury, uh, got Jim Hutton, who is a footnote in this movie. Like if you're trying to get any of that stuff, this is the wrong movie. Somebody might make that Freddie Mercury biopic at some point later down the road. This is not it. When the band's dead. Yeah, because this is basically just a a loose, hey, wasn't our music awesome? Yeah, it was. And that's the whole movie. And then they just kind of missed the point everywhere else. Um, So moving on... uh, I just want to kind of talk about the cast a little bit, as much as we can. Uh, we'll, we'll save Rami for last, because that kind of moves into the next point I want to make. Um, Which one was the kid from Jurassic Park? I didn't know he was in it. Yeah, Joseph Maslow, John Deacon, Queen's bass guitarist. That's the kid from Jurassic Park? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Was I, he the one who kind of looked like a Keebler elf? Uh, he's the one who, he, yeah, he cut his hair halfway through. Okay, yeah. yeah. that was the one. Wow. I was, when I went oh, to do that, right. pro- okay. which kid from Jurassic Park? The boy. The kid, the boy. He didn't look anything like him. No. Well, it's been no. a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but usually you still Taller. look like yourself. No, I was when I went to do that promo job, I was so fucking excited because I thought he was going to be there, and, and I misread the name, and it wasn't him, and I was very um. upset. True story, bro. <laughs> mm. um, but I, I actually, I think the cast did a really good job. I, I think the out of, every, out of everything that I find problematic in the movie... Uh, the cast is the least of which. Like I think, uh, I think the casting was pretty great. spot Mike on. Mike Myers is flawless. <laughs> yeah, we can skip <laughs> Actually, that one. <laughs> I have quite a few things to say about that one. Yeah, that one. Uh, I mean, you know, every bushel like, fruit has a bruise, he, but you know, it's a, it's just one of those things. Where, like beyond him, because I mean, even his character isn't a real person. Like they just made mm-hmm. him up and shoved him in the movie. Like that guy didn't exist. The idea of somebody hating Queen's music, like, no, you can't do this. Nope. Queen was, was actually a very non-dramatic but band. But they were banned in the U.S. for a while, though. Yeah, but it wasn't like, uh, hey, we want to do this operatic CD. Mm. No one will listen to that. They went, oh, how much money do you need? That sounds great. Mm. Like, and <laughs> why would you have a comedic meta moment? What? That just totally brings you... I thought that was just a fun trailer tag essentially yeah oh kids aren't gonna bang their heads in their cars to this song ha 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 because it's mike myers and he made that movie that's great for a trailer but then it was in the actual movie yeah and i was just like what 
It didn't match. That's stupid. But that's like, if they leaned more into that, like let's just celebrate. There was Queen. nothing else meta in this sure. film. Yeah, but that's I, what I mean. Like if there it should have been. Either there should have been more, or there should have been none. Like just having one just felt really odd. But I, I, think, I, I don't want to hang on to that too much. Unless okay. you have- yeah, well, I think just who this movie was made for. It was very much like mainstream audiences who yeah. like to hear Queen's music on the radio, but don't really want to get that deep into. Um, like some of Freddie Mercury's biography, like some aspects yeah. that would be alienating for a swath of the domestic audience. It's just like for the average Joe and Jane Q moviegoer, it's like, uh, like they're going to get that Mike Myers thing and they're going to laugh their heads off because yeah. they're getting that, uh, I see what you did there and they're going to feel good about themselves and they're going to reflect that opinion to the movie. Yeah, th- but that's something mm. I don't necessarily think is wrong. That's like, good for something like Marvel. Mm. That's, yeah, but- that's cute for that yeah. type of movie when it's supposed to be silly. This is a biopic about a legend, something serious. His life was le- like amazing. Was it legend? Wait, it was dairy? legendary. <laughs> like, absolutely epic. We don't need some sly little joke to some other movie. But now I'm again, I'm fine with it if that's the movie you're making. It just felt like a really weird like let's just take a step into a different movie for a 15 minute scene with Mike Myers and then we'll go back to the other one. They make it choices. Yeah. I mean, they made no choices in this movie. Everything was just sort of like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and not even correctly. But like if you're going to do that, if you're going to play with time, if you're going to play with the order in which the songs are written, use it like the, one of the questions that you wrote is, I know you were going to get to it. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. Like, Go for does it. this work as a musical? And I have a big, big fucking well, let's just issue jump right with there. that. Like, if that's because what comes a musical, like Joss Whedon actually talked about this when he was making the Buffy musical, is is how important it was for him for the songs to not just be like they're going along and then they sing a song. Yeah. It, the songs have to incorporate themselves into the story, and you could have done that here. There, Queen has a wild discography. I mean, there's a lot of fucking songs. There were ways. They okay. Sorry, I'm gonna go on a bit of a. I'm gonna try to condense this. <laughs> but like, but like, for, Freddie Mercury never had a, a character arc in this movie. Like, no. what what did he want at the beginning of the movie? What did he get at the end of the movie? There was just nothing. It was nothing. There, someone hinted at one point that he was lonely, and that he wanted attention or he didn't want to be alone. Okay, then make that the story. But yeah. it, they never did. Did he want his father's love? That wasn't the story either. Was he obsessed with the with being in front of the audience? They didn't make that about it either. It didn't make it about his love life. It made no no choice about what this movie was going to be about. So there was no way to incorporate songs into telling that story because instead it was just like this happened. Here's a song. This happened. Here's a song. It's not a fucking musical. It's a it's a boring movie with songs in it. It's like and, cliff notes. Yeah. Yeah. But the the interesting thing is, and like I, I, as I was watching this movie, the the one that came to mind the most was uh fuck, what's it called? Um, Spice World. No. Yes. No. Uh, the one about uh, Steve Jobs, the without Ashton Kutcher. Uh, is it just oh. Steve Jobs. Is it just Steve Jobs? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was Jobs. That was the Ashton Kutcher. That was the Ashton Kutcher one. Uh, okay. So that's yeah. not confusing at all. Yeah. We. Wait. Is uh, it they came out like the same. Yeah. Year. The Danny Boyle, Aaron Sorkin movie. Yeah. That one. Steve Jobs. It, it reminded me of that. Like, and that's what this movie I think could have and possibly should have been. Because that entire movie is, it's three press conferences at the launch of different three of three of Apple's biggest products. And that's how you get the mm. entire story is just as they're at these three huge things. Mm-hmm. And if this is what they wanted to do with Bohemian Rhapsody and just tell the story of like, this is how we made these iconic songs. There is a movie I'm into. And like, we can kind of jump into like, oh, Freddie Mercury is at this point in his life when he wrote this song. He's at this point yeah. in his life when he wrote this song. And we don't need to do the whole 
side story of the woman who was the love of his life. Although she's a wonderful character. Very sad, sad, sad life after When he this. sings that song for the first time, she's not even there. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's nothing to do with her. And it's such a weird idea. Like, there, there's a way that they could have done both. And it felt like they're like, it's exactly what Emily's saying. There's no choice. Like, do you want to make that movie or do you want to make a, a standard biopic? And he, and I mean, they said yes. It's like, that's not a choice. That Now we just kind of have... A jumble mess of a movie and, and it's you, just frustrating if you say yes to something like that that when you want to make two things in that regard you need to be artistic with it yeah. like you need to like what you're saying make art make choices to connect the two and make it interesting and they just made a standard movie there's only one yeah. sequence where they made it artistic which was when they were doing the press conference and Freddie's like in a drug haze, whatever, and he's being bombarded with these questions from the press. But I didn't even like that. Yeah. Like I felt like well, I was being attacked visually myself. And you, and you can, and there was no grounding in what part of that was real and what was inside his mind. Like yeah. I know they did some things with the lenses and the editing, but because it was never grounded in that scene, it, felt it just messy. felt like yeah, it felt messy. Yeah, and it was hard to watch. I got, I got really, like, my eyes hurt watching it. I got frustrated with it and had to, like, reorient myself. I was like, yeah. I got, it was a hard part to and watch. And it was the See, only part of the film that did anything I, I interesting. Dis- I, wholly, I wholly disagree with you there. Because yeah. I think the one of the other ones they did that was interesting and different, and I think it worked spectacularly, was after they finished recording Bohemian Rhapsody. And then they have the whole Mike Myers scene where they're convincing him to play it. And then it ends with, we're playing it. And then it's just a black screen. And then the reviews of the song start coming out. And they're just horrible reviews. Mm. Um, and it's like, I thought know, that was really yeah. cool. Like, I thought that was a great, like, they did it. Oh, no one liked it. I guess See, that, and then it caught on. they didn't do on. anything yeah. with I think that. They know, and it's like, oh, that was such a good idea. And I think that would have that that. combined really well with the idea of seeing them at different points in their career with the certain songs and how they were made. Yeah. Because it would be interesting to juxtapose that critical reception, their thoughts, and all that back and forth. That was the movie that I was more intent on watching. Yeah. I, I could almost agree with you on that because that is an interesting part of the film. But almost. for me, it, fe- it felt more like a transition Thing, sure, that sure. it felt like an actual sequence. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's kind of like what Emily was saying. They did nothing with it. Like, it could have been a really cool point, but instead it's just a transition. I, I can think about, like, this one example of what I'm talking about, like, where they could have done... Like, so I was thinking about... The, there's a scene where he was at that party that he had at his house, and, and like I said, that one guy had one throwaway line where he was like, oh, he's just lonely. He just doesn't like being alone. Well, that make that his character. So he's lonely. He doesn't like being alone. And when he's in front of the audience, he is fulfilled. And they could have demonstrated that by having him at that party. Everyone's leaving. And he's like, don't go. And people are leaving. And he's like, fine, fine. I'm here by myself. Fine. I'm having a ball. Don't stop me now. And yeah. he sings lonely as fuck, uh, like dancing around his house all by himself. And then he comes to the part where he's like, da, 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 da and he's really sad and then we zoom in on his face and then we zoom out on his face I'm a racing car whatever the line is and then um, and then he starts singing don't stop me now and now he's in front of an audience and he's fucking fulfilled and we've just taken a song that was about sadness and loneliness and him covering and turn into a song about the way that he gets joy out of his life and mm-hmm. we've now used that song in a way to explore character mm-hmm. by by like juxtaposing the drama but instead the movie just goes here's a song and that just that is what frustrated yeah. me is that's just like that's my like loose take on i mean obviously i'm not the writer of this but that's what i would have done something like that they let me but um, somebody please let me. Um, <laughs> Don't stop her now. <laughs> I, I fully agree with you on that. Like, it's after the movie was done, 
and we were in the middle of the credits and the show must go on came on yeah. brian and i immediately started being nostalgic about moulin rouge yes the way they used yeah. that yeah. song and like what you're saying like it totally like in moulin rouge that song was used amazingly to express a narrative and that's what this movie lacks completely. Yeah. Well, I can't think of, I can't I mean, think of that song th- any different. Yeah, you go through Queen's repertoire. So many other songs tell stories. Like, like that was kind of the the era of that music. I mean, like we saw Elton John in concert, and that's mm-hmm. what he talked about. He's like, every song I have tells a story. It, Queen's not a hundred percent about that across the board, but they do have a lot, and that yeah. would work. And it's. This movie should have been more like Moulin Rouge, if anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is at its core a song about someone who's very lonely. Mm-hmm. So, but it, again, it wasn't used. It was just sung. It was just a song. It had no no exploration of where the lyrics came from or how they impacted the lives of the people. Who it had a cute like it. we're friends and having fun moment when they're recording it, yeah. and then they that all knock great. they all yeah. knock over the soundboards and they're all giggling and like oh I'm that's like, that fun. Was, that was really cool. I was like I was there for that. Yeah. In that moment, yeah. it was exciting that to watch. Was I was like, that's, I wanted that. That's the thing. I think mean, that's where I'm going to kind of get into my next thing, which is not in the notes here, so I apologize. But the this movie just, it does the, the chief flaw of any musical biopic. And I love musical biopics. I know I'm, I'm very much in the minority there, and a lot of people don't really gravitate to them. I usually do. I, I There's very few that I don't see. But there's a problem that I always have with it, because I get really into the history of bands and music and that sort of stuff. And the more I look into it, the more I get annoyed when I watch the movie, and they just completely rip it apart for drama. Queen wasn't a very dramatic band. They never broke up. They never had a lot of problems. They like their biggest things they hit on was like they'd have argue over rights of who wrote what song. Like that was a big thing. But like otherwise, like like when Freddie did his solo tour or his solo album, the bassist had already done one. Like it wasn't a big deal. Nobody cared. And like the more they kind of just start ripping apart the history of it, the more it's an insult to like actually how they got there. Because part of the reason Queen was such a great band was because they were great friends. Because they did get along. Like, the, all this manufactured drama. And I'm not saying there wasn't any, because, I mean, I wasn't there. And obviously, if you have uh, a man going through the dilemmas and the inner turmoil that Freddie Mercury went through, there was going to be problems. But at the same time, the band stayed strong the whole way through. Like, they never had a breakup. They never had to go through this whole rehearsal. And then even, like, insult to injury, he didn't know he was diagnosed with uh, AIDS or HIV positive till well after Live Aid. Like, Live Aid, like the movie, they make it look like he put on the best performance ever to like show he still has life in him and just blah, 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 yeah. blah. No, that was just an awesome Freddie Mercury performance. And that went li- on for just way too long in this movie. Yeah. Like, and that Live Aid in real life, he was a still a very robust man. There yeah. was nothing sickly about him. No. And it's like it, the the huge year-long breakup they had before the movie was uh, two months. And it's because their tour ended two months before Live Aid. And it's not like they had a big breakup or anything. And like I get it. That's not dramatic. And it's more dramatic to make Live Aid more of the climax. I understand that from a storytelling point of view. But, but that th- should also tell you when you're crafting this story, like... This maybe isn't the route we need should go. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't be telling this story because this isn't the story. Pick an angle. Like, yeah. I mean, what's love got to do with it is great. Is a great example for me mm-hmm. of one that works because they chose just the story about her and Ike Turner and how she got out of there and found her power, and that's what the movie's about. Yeah, this movie just was like, oh, here's Freddie's life, it, and you have like the best ones take a moment in that person's life and like focus it. Like center it around something. Yeah, there's a there's a musical that made it to Broadway that started in Chicago. I don't remember the name of it now, but it's all about uh, a like a one recording session where Johnny Cash, uh, Buddy Holly, I don't remember mm. who all was there, but they all showed up and they all recorded one album together, and they made an entire play about it, and it was phenomenal. And you felt like you got to know all of the four men who were there, 
because it was just this one night. And it's like, if you look into the history of just how fucking um, Under Pressure was written, that it was a one, it was a 24 hour recording session of basically Coke and booze that sounds way more interesting than the entire movie we watched. I would have watched a two hour movie about making that one song and gotten more out of Freddie Mercury's life than I did out of this movie that masquerades as a historical movie about Freddie Mercury. Yeah, because there was a lot in the movie after they did Under Pressure when they were talking about Live Aid and they were like, David Bowie's going to be there. And I was like, ooh, David Bowie. And I was like, you've met David Bowie at this point. You know, you've per- you performed with David Bowie. Yeah. I don't understand like what. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. It's just very frustrating. Um, but th- th- speaking of frustrating things, uh, I want to move on to something that's really bumped a lot of people. And for me personally, did not at all. Um, does it bother you that Rami doesn't sing in the movie? No. 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 Mm-mm. We're on the table. No on this one. Uh, yeah. Sorry, everybody his, else. Well, to be his fake little, teeth bothered me. To yeah. be a little mean to our friend who was unhappy that he didn't sing this movie. Yeah, take in, that, Craig. An example up, of an example of let's just bring back the dubbing so that it doesn't have to sacrifice the music would have been Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Okay, Emma, you're great. You're not a singer. <laughs> So Rami probably knew, I am not Freddie Mercury. I am not going to bring down a movie about Freddie Mercury by trying to be that. Like, even if you're the best singer, I wouldn't want to try yeah, to pretend to sound like Freddie just, Mercury. Just dub it, and we'll all be happy. And yeah, see, I mean, even, they replaced his voice. They replaced the director. Like, yeah. they did everything they could <laughs> to cut this thing out. And see, even, the, like, even though I knew going in that he didn't sing... The movie never bothered me with that because it was like, no. well, Rami Malek's performance, I, I, it was still believable. I could still escape into that, like, that, okay, you're talking, now you're singing. And I, I believed it. I was able and, to believe it. And I looked into it a little bit, and I, I should look into it more. I probably should have before we recorded this. But the, the thing that I think worked and the reason why it won both the Sound uh, Academy Awards was because of how they used Freddie Mercury's voice. And from what I understand was it's Rami Malek throughout everything. And then whenever he's singing, it's either Freddie Mercury or Freddie Mercury with another person to kind of match it in to kind of make it sound not 100% Freddie Mercury because that would pull you out of it because Rami Malek does not sound like him, but just off a little bit so that you could still tell that, oh, that's Freddie Mercury's voice, but not 100% him. I think that's genius. Like yeah. that, that just, it shaves one edge off of it that would take it out. And then you believe that that's the voice coming out of him. It's not like when you watch, um, Oh Brother, We're Out Thou, and then George Clooney starts singing. It's like, <laughs> holy shit, that's not his voice. It's also <laughs> not like when you watch Mamma Mia and Pierce Brosnan starts yeah. singing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, whoa. I never had that moment. Like, if I didn't know what I know just about, you know, the music in general, I don't think I would have questioned him singing nearly as hard. But yeah. you know Freddie Mercury's voice. Everyone I thought knows that was voice. it was fluid and done well. They probably like, did a lot of testing on yeah. that to see what would work. I can understand why they won an Oscar for that. Yeah, absolutely. Those three, I totally get. The the Rami Malek, the sound, the, both the sound ones. Editing? Ooh. Uh. No. Uh. <laughs> Not- it's what a right. frustrating watch for me on that. Yeah. Because I, I knew what I was getting into. Because the memes online with that one scene at the cafe, uh. I've seen that all over Twitter. And I was like, I knew about that going in. And I didn't realize it was so soon in the movie. So I was like, oh, we're gonna we're just going to start this off with just, oh, where, also, where'd that guy come from? Where'd he, where'd he come from? Oh, God, I'm scared. Yeah. Like, I'm also very upset with what they did to Lord Baelish, um, the hair and makeup department. Yeah. Um, what what's wrong with that? That, that, that scene ridiculous. He doesn't look handsome at all. Oh, <laughs> and and that's so he's, he's a good character actor. And he is for, handsome. And Don't for make his, him unhandsome. <laughs> Which one is Lord Baelish? The um, old manager, the one that gets fired. 
Oh. The manager, yeah. Wait, is isn't that Littlefinger? Yeah. 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 Oh, is he also Lord Bailey? Yes. Little That's Finger. Littlefinger's real name. Yeah, his little Littlefinger little isn't his real his name. His real name no. is not Littlefinger. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be such a weird name to give a baby. Yeah. Well, that is a tiny finger right then and there, I guess. <laughs> Unless that's key for his it's penis. It's never going to get bigger. I don't know. I don't know my body. Um, but that scene itself is even like it felt like it was on a green screen. To yeah. watch it. So it was, there it was, was a lot of green screens. It was edited poorly, and it looked like it was on a green screen. The, the scene that reminds me closest of is in the room. I on was the roof. Say yeah. Because yeah. it like the, the lighting was weird, and then like the makeup on the actors was, was kind of weird in that scene, and so was the lighting. And then like you guys were saying about Littlefinger, <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he looked weird in that scene. Everything looked weird in that scene, and then, like the rest of the movie, like in the beginning, at least. I don't, throughout it was a lot of choices like that that was just like I'm going to endure this but I'm having a frustrating I can't get into this like yeah I, that, that's a good point of like the, I felt like the majority of the movie is like mm, you're not into this it's like no I should be though why do you keep telling me that I'm not because you're not and then a queen song <laughs> would come on and I'd be like okay well I can at least close my eyes and I, I still have to watch this for this thing this podcast okay bummer but whatever yeah and then another editing choice would come in like even the the live aid where they're they're cutting to the phone lines and they're like, Queen is the single-handedly saving Live Aid. <laughs> and then there's the guy who was on TV saying, like, you better give me all your money. He's like, yes. And it's like, who are you again? I forgot. And yeah. why did Live Aid go on so long? Like, the movie's called Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. And they sang Bohemian Rhapsody. So I was like, okay, that's the end of the movie. Oh, nope, nope. We got more songs. We got, like, five more songs for some fucking reason. <laughs> I don't know why we're still yeah. here. Um, I didn't have a good transition. Sorry. I That's fine. Went on another rant. No, I love your rants. It's great. I want to go on a long rant about Paul Prenter, uh, played oh. by Alan Leach, uh, Who's that? Freddie Mercury's personal manager and slash lover slash I'm evil. Yeah. Oh, I am evil he and is- I am gay and I'm going to feast off of you <laughs> and destroy your life. Yeah. Like, seriously, he would just hark back in scenes and just stare maniacally at people. <laughs> like, he's some, like, little vile predator. And it's just like, I understand in real life this guy was terrible to Freddy, but why did you have to make a Disney villain out of him? And my thing was, like, because when he's first introduced, he's introduced rather lovingly. Like, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, here's, like, a here's a man that he can actually, like, maybe start to learn a little bit more about himself. And then, it, oh, no, he's the bad guy. But it's just like, ah, he is the personification of evil gay. Yeah. And it's like, like, if like you hang out with him, agenda. you're like going to do gonna drugs. Get you're going to be into leather. You're going to get a mustache. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> it was you're so... going to like disco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was like that level. It was like fucking Ursula, this, like the octopus, but mm-hmm. as a gay man, just like, <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah. I'm going to steal your voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, what the fuck? That like, line would have actually fit in this movie well, with like, the way he was acting. Exactly. And like, that's I, I really don't want to talk about him much because you know none of us want to talk about him anymore. But like, Brian Singer is a gay man. Like, it, it's it's strange that a gay man made a movie about a gay idol that hates gay people. Like this movie, it just felt very there, homophobic. There's also a lot of bi. There's also bi erasure in this movie because yeah. Freddie Mercury was bisexual. Yeah. And there's a line where, and we all think of him as a gay man, but he also was, he by never, all accounts, was attracted to women. He so, never fully came out as gay. Yeah, like, it, and, and and there's that scene where he tells her he thinks he's bisexual and she says, no, you're gay. And that's it. And and that happens to bi people a lot that someone will tell them they're gay. So maybe that was the point. But then there's never any pushback on that. She just says, no, Freddie, you're gay. And it's like, oh, well, we just accept that as true. And it's like bisexual people like, hi, we exist. Yeah. You know? 
And, I mean, who knows? Maybe it was true. Maybe it wasn't. Because yeah. like the, the the long and the short of it is, the stuff we know about his personal life is all secondhand. Yeah. Like Freddie was a very yeah. very private person. He didn't tell anybody about his HIV positive till very late. Like, like pretty much right before, before he, he died. died. Yeah. yeah. Like, and he didn't really tell anyone about a lot of his personal relationships. So we know a lot of it from that Paul fucker, and we know a lot, a little bit from Mary. But even Mary hides she's like she wanted nothing to do with this movie she didn't do anything with the press yeah. tour uh, because she was his closest friend that's one yeah. thing that this movie i mean except for the rattling of their friendship which i don't know how much that was true like Freddie, i looked in her a little bit this morning that was when he came out to her that really rattled them for a while but they, well, yeah. they of course i mean you were gonna marry yeah, this man yeah, and of then course. you know this it's a bombshell but it's gonna from, rattle anyone pretty much from the moment he bought her the house next to him they were close friends and he left most of his estate to her when he died Half. yeah 50 percent. so that's a lot like yeah. they were very close yep and it it upsets me that she i mean i wish she had some input input on this movie because i feel like it would have been better with it but i also respect her choice not to be and and that kind of brings around to one of the other questions i had uh on our note sheet that we do now um did this change your mind about the band queen or freddie at all like did this have any impact on you as far as like your general opinions go because it no did character on development so no it, it i think you're talking about like you're giving kind of the backstory yeah has changed my opinion more than this movie did because i didn't believe that that was the real queen yeah, and I think that's kind of the thing is like since they were all not all uh, two of them were story and creative producers on this thing, they paint themselves in a very nice light. Like they are always positive. They're nice. They're only grumpy when they've been wronged by Freddie. Uh, when they're at a big drug party, they stay clean. They leave early yeah. to go home to their families. It's like what? That, and that's just something that irritates the crap out of me. Oh my god! If you can't handle your past. And any like personal criticism, then you're probably not that great of a person. And what does that say about the guy they've called a brother for the majority of their career that they made? They signed off on this movie that paints him as the villain. Like he is the antagonist of the whole movie. Everything that goes wrong in this movie is Freddie's fault, and they really make sure you know that. Mm-hmm. The band had problems because of Freddie. Freddie had problems because of Freddie. Fre- like everything that negative happens in the movie, Freddie mm-hmm. somehow orchestrated or was coerced into orchestrating by Paul. By Paul, yeah. and it's like, oh, why? Like, didn't you love this man? Like, wasn't he like your everything, and he they were his everything? Like. What the fuck happened after he died that made you guys dislike him so is, much? Is that why Sasha Baron Cohen left the project? Because they wanted to make it a Queen movie and yeah. not a Freddie movie? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think he felt it wasn't going to be truthful yep. enough. And he was, he was right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like the way they did the movie, like it's still really connected. It made a ton of money, yep. won a lot of Oscars. So it's that thing where... Like, from a critical perspective, like, they made a bad movie. But in terms of, like, financial success, award success, it's like, I mean, they did something that a huge amount of the global population, because I think it did great overseas, too. So it's like they did something that's still connected with millions and millions of people. Oh, it's this year's... um Greatest Showman. Like, I watched Greatest Showman. I'm like, this is the worst movie I've seen this year. Like, my God, this is trash. And then people are, we had to go to, a, we didn't have to go. We chose to go. I wanted to go <laughs> to see, uh, there was like this uh, elementary school performance that people from my childhood put on. So I got to see them again. And the, they opened with songs from Greatest Showman. And it's like, I hated that movie, but the music was good. I can see why it connected to people. Wait, I, the kids from your childhood put on a show? 
It's a um, whole different thing. Okay. <laughs> well, that it, sounds like a ghost story. But it definitely, kind of. spe- it definitely speaks to just the love of the band Queen, their music, and the impact that they've had on many generations of people yeah. that this movie's done well. But at the same time, it's like there's, it's also a dangerous thing to do because our nostalgia is like painted over. Like It's not accurate. I mean, and this it, movie doesn't help that. Yeah. It, it delves into uh, something that is easily consumed. Yeah. yeah Where like, it's, it's, it's like someone else was referring to like how there's a lot of like weird things about people who dislike comic book movies these days and they're complaining about them. And I like some of their criticisms can be true. Like, yeah, it's not, they're not complex. You don't really have to like be too involved in these films. Every problem is rather base. Like you can relate to it easily. And then in this movie, they really did that. They did not make anything complex. They kept it, very base, which is again, like I said, that just made it okay and not fabulous, which is not Freddie Mercury. And I think it, coming out at this time of like this in this era that we're living in, it's almost irresponsible to make a movie like this that washes over some important aspects that, like, I don't know. I feel like we it, need more honest, like, and accurate depictions that, more so yeah. than like, like you I, might want that, but with how terrible the world is right now. We're just going to get more easily consumed things because everyone feels terrible most of the time. Right, right. But I, yeah. It, Which just speaks more that this wasn't the right time for this movie. This wasn't the right time for yeah. Freddie Mercury's story. I'm, I'm optimistic about Rocket Man because in the trailers, it looks like they went some creative directions but with it. El- but, Elton himself says that he is very open about his problems mm. and he had a lot to do with that movie. So he is not shy of personal criticism. Yeah, I mean, when we saw him live, he did a good five minute stint on how important it is to ask for help when you need help. Mm. He's like, because when I was in dr- drugs and this stuff i wasn't a good person and i needed help and he does a whole thing about it because he's had many organizations specifically to help people in those situations they, they didn't give any of that to freddie like and they the band refused to show any of their problems which is you know I, I get it nobody's proud of everything they've done in their life that'd be ridiculous if you were but at the same time you still did those things you still are those people you still decided the guy from bad company would be a good lead singer for a little while and i had to see that fucking concert and, <laughs> and then another thing that they put in this movie about themselves which I thought was really weird, is they made a scene, even though the scene's driven by Freddie Mercury, they made that scene specifically to show how the band would have had a life without Queen. This one would have been a dentist. This one would have been an electrician. This one would have been a physicist or whatnot yeah. of the cosmos. And they're like, well, what would you be without us, Freddie? And Freddie was like, I'm like, what is this scene? Yeah, why, why are you digging at him like this? Yeah. Like, and I feel like that, I think that's like when, when we get in like our, our favorite or least favorite thing about it, that's always going to be my least favorite thing is I feel like this movie didn't like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Like it just kind of felt like, yeah, he was a great front man, bad person though. And it's like, that's not what I should be taking away from this movie. Even if it might be true. Like, but I don't like, I don't trust that any rock star is a great human being. I just, I, I just don't think it's a thing. Again, because we were given no character arc. Yeah. He was given, we were giving nothing to root for there. Yeah. He, he walked up to a band was like, Hey, can I join you? He joined them. The band did well. They sold some albums. He like, there they was no, him. but it's all that matter of fact too. They, yeah. at, a, at a certain point, they were the biggest band in the world. Yeah. Like they had the number one al- album, globally (laughs) and like the most we get from them is like uh, I guess you want to play Live Aid people kind of there was there was nothing to root for yeah it's hard to like the main character when there's no journey yeah oof so okay so we've been really shitting on this thing Uh, what would we say are our favorite thing in the movie like what if you had to try to figure out something that actually worked what would you say the songs are really good (laughs) <laughs> I liked the reproduction of uh, costumes and performances. 
Yeah. I did enjoy that. I, I think I'd agree with you. I, I think seeing the various Freddie Mercury costumes throughout the years um, were great. But for me, the, the thing I agree the scene goes on too long, like why don't we just watch Live Aid then, is the Rami did such a good job being Freddie Mercury on the Live Aid stage that when you go on YouTube and you watch the side-by-side comparison, it's yeah. mind-boggling. Like, just mind-blowing. Like, Rami did such a good job with that performance, especially in that sequence. I get why they left it long. They shouldn't have. I understand why they did it. It was the wrong choice. But... I can understand why they made that choice. And that's why, like, brilliant in it. Yeah, and that's why, like, after the very end of it, after watching it, I sat down. The movie was done. I was like, okay, I liked that part, and I couldn't figure out like if it, because it was that. Yeah. That I liked the end a little bit more than the beginning, but I think that was the that was the reason. Like yeah. that that performance cinched it. Um, but for me, I think the the montage, the style of the montage, where they're going through the the concerts and the costumes, and like the the, the cities are fl- like flying overhead, and then oh you know, yeah, like that stylistic thing. That kind of hinted at a more let like a more uh, myth, the band like Queen is the myth. Yeah, that really kind of hooked me in a lot more because I was like, okay, you're going, you're kind of going a little bit abstract with this, like, yeah. and that's kind of where I was like keyed into the most. It kind of made me wish that Adam McKay directed this because he's actually doing new things like that, and it would have been cool. But he was too busy making a movie about one of the most hated people of all time, Vice. If anyone, oh yeah, yeah. Mm. he does do a lot of fun creative things. He does. I like the way he makes movies. Yeah. Uh, Elliot, was there something that you just loved about it that you actually did enjoy? Uh, <laughs> I I like that loved scene. Mike Myers' character. <laughs> yeah, I I like that scene where they were on the bus and singing "Hold Me Closer," Tiny Dancer. <laughs> this that is a great scene. A great scene. <laughs> the, se- the sequence, like I I am a a fan of these type of shots. Where they start from the outside of the bus, they go into the bus, they go through the bus, and then they go through the people that are on the bus, and suddenly they're on stage, and wow! Yeah, that was really cool. I loved that sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Loved it. Like, I have I, to imagine I'm a sucker for those type of artistic moments. I have to imagine that's why Howie got best editing, because if it was anything else, oof, the voters were drunk at the wheel. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of everything I really had to say about this movie. Is there anything else that we really missed? Not really. I mean, uh, just there was more things that I disliked. About yeah, it, but we don't need to same. keep harping on. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. It's like I can bitch about everything it did wrong, but I mean, that's not oh, much but, of a review. By the time we got into the Live Aid concert, I was doing steps around my apartment. I was just walking because I have a loft. <laughs> I was just walking up and down the stairs and just ranting at the television to no to no one. I was just yelling at my television, like so angry at this movie. So that, that was me watching Neon Demon. About halfway through, I'm just like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I kind of want to rewatch Neon Demon just to be like, is it really that bad? Like, am I... Ru- yeah. I just not prepared for it. <laughs> I really hope I don't have any meetings coming up with anyone who made Bohemian Rhapsody. Please don't listen to this episode. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think every critique we're making is founded in filmmaking stuff. It's not us just bitching, but, you know, yeah. I'm a little biased. I'm in the conversation. I mean, it did so lose its director partway through, so... <sighs> I bet a lot of people are saying I mean, most of our criticisms are towards the directing choices yeah. and the, yeah. the choices that were probably influenced by the band. Yes. Cause, cause that's, that's true. Yeah. Because another good, like a good moment or kind of second place for me for favorite is in the beginning when we follow behind Freddie Mercury the whole time and we get to that stage, he passes through and it just stops right in front of the giant crowd. Like, this is your moment thing. Mm-hmm. And before cutting, it was like, it was powerful. And they kind of yeah. like undercut it later, but like that was a, like, there's stuff in here that was like compelling. There was a lot of powerful shots. I liked the cinematography and yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, who was that? 
uh, Newton Thomas Sigil. He did a very good job. He did. And I, I think, yeah, that, uh, when people tell me they enjoyed this movie, I can honestly say, I get it. Like, I, I, Technically, it's great. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I understand. There were no people, egregious line crosses. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> there you go. But yeah. I mean, it's like I said earlier, if you just want to watch a movie and jam out to some Queen tunes, like this is great. Like It's exactly what you'd want because like they, they stuff it to the gills with Queen songs. Like It's just kind of funny. Like It's, a, it's kind of lighthearted. They don't really try to be too deep in anything. So I, I get it. I, it's kind of disposable entertainment. But I, I, yeah, I just don't think I'll ever go back to it unless, you know. If I want a glitzy operatic, operat, mm, operatic, operatic, movie that is over the top and features some Queen songs, I'm going to watch Moulin Rouge. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably would too. I thought she was going to say Flash Gordon. <laughs> that too. That too. Go, Flash, go. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I always think when we talk about biopics that are creative, like the person they're about, I always think of the P- Peter Sellers. I forget the name of it, the Peter Sellers Life one. Life and Death of Peter Sellers. Yeah, 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 yeah. That with Jeffrey Rush, because that had all kinds of weird fourth wall breaks and like it had him, I, I don't know, it just, it was more like in line with how Peter Sellers would have told the story of his life. And I think that's what the goal should be when you're making a biopic about a fabulous person is make it the story that they would tell about their life. And if they were someone who was just like over the top wild well then so should their movie be yeah yeah and i, I think the 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 only addendum i'd make to that note is that it, you should tell it how they would tell it but not entirely yeah like, don't let them tell it tell the truth but tell it slant yeah like that's that that's entirely it because i think the more you let the actual person who lived it tell the story yeah. they're gonna get protective and they won't be yeah. killing their babies and then you end up with bohemian rhapsody yeah and it's like, no, you. The, I know they own the story, but if they're not going to let you tell the honest story, yeah. don't make the movie. You need to let go of your ego. Yep. It stifles your art. <sighs> uh, this was a rough one because I, I, I was not super excited about the movie, but I, I had known just because I, I am a Queen fan. I love Queen. They're a hard band not to love, but oof. I have movie... one friend that once told me on set that he didn't think Queen was as great as everyone makes them out to be. And I was just like, if I wasn't at work right now, I would slap you. How dare you? I, I've heard the same, and I've heard that only their hits are good. And I've heard all these things. And I'm like, all right, that is your wrong And then opinion. I play Seaside Rendezvous, <laughs> and I'm like, shut your face and listen to this delightful song. Yep. Or you have Edgar Wright just pulling out random tracks as like their best songs ever. And it's like, eh, it wasn't, but that's fine. It worked for your movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and still, like every time I hear that song, I think of them beating the zombie with a stick with a pool cue. And it's oh, like, yeah. the greatest. Yeah. I'm done with that song being used as fight scenes, though. I'm done. As soon as it started in Umbrella Academy, I'm like, fuck off with this song. I get it. It's good for fight scenes. Yeah. Find a new one. It's, ex- it's canceled. Stop it. Yeah. Use Seaside Rendezvous. <laughs> Use any other Queen song. I don't care. Uh, all right. I think it's time for quotes. Everybody has theirs. Yeah. I actually, I have two, and I, I'm going to cheat and use both of them. I apologize. Oh, no. Um, I'm going for the first one just because it's barely a line, but it is so beautifully well done, and I loved this moment. And it's right after Rami is told that he has AIDS and that there are some treatments, but there's really, they don't work. So this is kind of who you are for the next couple of years until you're no longer with us. And like just the face he makes, it's so heavy. You can see how sad he is, and he's walking out, and there's a guy who's clearly in late stages. He's looking rough, and he sees Freddie fucking Mercury walk by, and he just, oh, <laughs> and it was just so sweet and yeah. nice. And I'm like, why wasn't the whole movie this good? Um, but my actual quote that I, I just made me laugh, which I did not expect really from this movie very much, um, had to be 
uh, he's trying to impress Mary's dad, who's deaf, and he's just trying to like, I'm trying to say this. And she's like, I already told him. I already told him. I already told him. I'm like, all right. Well, then tell him his daughter's an epic shag. And he's uh. all proud of himself. And she just looks at <laughs> Freddie, he can read lips. And just the look on the dad's face is just so fucking good. I, I, I love that. Damn. You took mine. Did I? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, come back to me in a second. I don't remember. I don't. I gotta be honest. I don't remember the context of this. I just remember <laughs> that at one point they're told something. Americans are mad at them over a song or whatever, and somebody says it's America. There are Puritans in public and perverts in private. And I was like, that. Yes, that is accurate. Yeah, that's a good one. That's uh, when they got. In, uh, they banned the cross-dressing music video on oh, TV. Oh right. Yes. Yes. Well, yep. that is America. We yep. are uh, Puritans in public and perverts in private. That is accurate. Oh. And oh, his frustration with that totally made sense. Yeah. Like, of course they're mad at me. It was my fucking idea it's like oh poor freddy <laughs> yeah so i wrote down that during that infamous poorly edited cafe meeting freddie mercury describes the band as we're four misfits who don't belong together playing to the other misfits the outcasts right at the back of the room who are pretty sure they don't belong either we belong to them and I listened to that and it's just like, this entire script is just declarative statements like that. <laughs> like they're taken straight off of a, a $2 biography that you can get at a kiosk. <laughs> and this, is, this isn't like near the end of the movie where he's talking about the meaning of their group. This is like 20 minutes in. And he's like, yes, I've already written a thesis about what we mean to society as a whole. And it's yep. just like the movie is so... It's like predetermined in terms of all these. It's like they took the Wikipedia page and like, all right, highlighted sentences. And it's like, okay, we'll depict this, we'll depict this. And with that scene in particular, it's like it doesn't feel like a human being is talking. It's just that, like, oh, this is what pop culture scholars have written about Queen. Let's just put the words right in Freddie's mouth. Well, yes. well un unbeknownst to all of us here, I just looked this up. Uh, Freddie Mercury wrote that Wikipedia article. <laughs> wow. Don't fact check it, please. Ground floor. <laughs> Got it on the ground floor. Yeah. That the first that, Wikipedia article. Yeah. What, what you just said is something that I was actually thinking and was, I didn't want to go on another rant, but yes. Especially the moment after when Freddie tells them that he is HIV positive. I'm like, this, this monologue feels so forced and not natural. Yeah, I also wrote, no one knows what queen means because it doesn't mean one thing. It's they said so it much meant of like royalty movie. right at the beginning of the movie, though. Uh, okay, well, I've got my quote, too. Um, it's from Jim Hutton, actually, the character Jim Hutton. Who? Uh, the movie kind of forgot who he yeah, was. Yeah, I, I it took me a second. I was like, one oh, of the most Jim? important people in Freddie Mercury's lives, and he has like three that? lines. Yeah. Jim so Hutton? The he's line, the other mustache boyfriend, guy. He lived with him throughout most of his the life. One that oh, actually, right, oh, right. The yeah. guy, okay. Yeah, yeah. The one that actually took care of him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so like his line, I think, is actually kind of encompasses the whole movie too it's the one where he says i like you too freddie uh come and find me when you decide to like yourself and i think that line also works for the movie the movie doesn't like itself but the movie also never established that as a character arc yeah until yeah. that again, moment again, i was like oh was, really is this what we were this it was another about? moment where it just didn't feel natural uh my quote actually had a moment where i was just like oh i like this scene i'm having fun with this because i think that song's hilarious so that i'm in love with my car uh so that <laughs> how does that song go uh, I honestly I'm don't know. We'll sing it later. Um, but I enjoyed that entire sequence, and I liked it when John Deegan said, "It's just a bit weird, Roger. What exactly are you doing with that car?" 
Yeah. Tailpipe. It's, it's suspicious. <laughs> there, that's a fetish, guys. That's T Rexes and cars. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then I, I saved this last thing for last because it, it makes sense with when it happens in the movie. Um, but before we get out of here, I have to bring up one final complaint with Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, they spend time complaining to each other that from here on out, no songs are written by Freddie Mercury or any other band member. Everything's written by Queen. And then you watch the credits. All the songs go by and it says, written by Freddie Mercury. Written by... It's like, oh, what the fuck? Really? <laughs> you can't even follow your rules in your own movie? Boo. Yeah. Uh, because most of the audience doesn't read the credits. That's like, true. Um, that's why a wide variety of people hated why a wide variety of people liked it. If they had stayed, read the credits, whole different story. They would have been right there with me, like, what the fuck was this? Yeah, yeah I We mean... need to promote literacy. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a hell of a am I Am I the only one, every time you try to say Live Aid, you accidentally almost say Right Aid? No. I mean, yes. Probably yes. <laughs> Band-Aid? Yeah, I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Am I um, the only one that had absolutely no idea what uh, Live Aid actually was about and it had this thing in my head that was completely wrong? Well, I guess. Am Maybe. I the only one who, like, associated with Kool-Aid? Oh, my God. <laughs> Am I the only one who... All right, we're done. I, uh, well, I, you mentioned, like, did this earlier. I didn't get to this, but you were talking about, did this movie, like, teach you anything new about Queen or Freddie Mercury? And my thing was, like, watching this movie, and then they play Fat Bottom Girls, and I was like, oh, I didn't know Queen wrote that. I was like three or four <laughs> times during this movie. Like, well, oh, they, yeah, that's a Queen song. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, all right, so that brings a, a close to this, uh, this episode. We can do a quick round of plugs. Uh, be sure to tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. for Venture Bros. Venture Bros. Podcast. We are in season four, which is the longest season out of the entire show, so we will be in this one for a while. Um, but I do think there's some wonderful things in this season, so there's a lot of stuff to talk about, and I'm really excited. Uh, that's it for me. Uh, John? Uh, I'm, I'm good for now. Uh, Superstore is back from its uh, airing hiatus, so watch the new episodes uh, Thursday nights. Anything to plug? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at Elliot S. Campos. I randomly recorded a new episode of Superhero Sampler with frequent After the Hype guest Samantha Garrison discussing 1966 Batman, the episode in which Batman and the Joker do a surf contest oh against each other. So that was fun, just a one-time thing probably for now. But uh, enjoy it, listen to it. And then there's a project that's getting near the close to finishing final almost stages so keep your eye on my twitter page for more fair enough uh and then uh one final plug uh from us here at ath uh be sure to tune into samwise uh the advice podcast from sam garrison uh and if you have any questions for her i will say this uh as i do on venture brothers i challenge you to think of a question you don't think she'll be able to answer and give it a shot and you can reach out to her at uh phone number 608-561-2755 or sam.wise at remember she uses the lord of the rings extended edition to answer all her questions yeah and their special features and their special special features so i challenge you do you think there is a life question that she can't answer with lord of the rings Give it a shot. How uh, would you write Bohemian Rhapsody? <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody let me down. Go. Uh, <laughs> well, Lord Faramir. No. What is the average shoe, shoe size for a adult hobbit? Yeah, she'll get that. I, I, you can't softball a men like that. Uh, that's everything, right? Right? Yeah. Visit us, hthpod.com, and be sure if you want to email us, hthpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.